This afternoon we're going to look at failure. Failure is a part of the Christian life, whether we like it or not, and it's important for us to understand something about failure and how it works and how we as Christians should relate to it. On February 15, 1992, Jeffrey Dahmer was sentenced to 15 life sentences for killing 17 people. And he didn't just kill them, he did undescribable things to them. Jeffrey Dahmer was a failure by any definition. He was the lowest of the low. He was devil controlled. He was devoid of love. Jeffrey Dahmer was a failure by any measurement. And yet, my friends, you and I would be just like that, except for the Spirit of God working in us. If it was not for the Holy Spirit working on us and working in us, we all would be as bad or worse than Jeffrey Dahmer. The Bible tells us that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Everything good comes from God. And that means that without God, we are failures. We should just get used to that. By nature, <laughs> we are failures. Without God, we are all Jeffrey Dahmer's. There is no distinction, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage of sin. The mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. According to Scripture, we are, like it or not, all failures. If it were not for the Holy Spirit, we would be like Jeffrey Dahmer or worse. So that's kind of liberating in some ways, knowing that we are failures, right? And the really wonderful thing about this whole concept of failure is that God knows that we are failures. God knows that by nature we are failures. God knows that we cannot be anything else but failures except by His power. And God loves us, failure and all. That's the, the, the promise of God. For God has shut up all in disobedience so that He may show mercy to all. God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the good news. That's the good news of the gospel. We're failures. We cannot be anything but failures, but God loves us anyway. Most Christians believe that God exists. Most Christians believe that God loves us, that He has the, the universe in the palm of His hand. But it's a little bit harder to believe sometimes that God would really lift a finger on our account. That, that you know, we're just so insignificant. We're just so sinful. We're just so hopeless. It's hard for us sometimes to really believe that God would care enough about us, even us, the lowest of the low, that He would um, be willing to help us, that He'd be willing to, be, to work with us patiently and gently. But God loves us. God works with us, even though we are failures. You know, when we are converted and we surrender our lives wholly to Jesus, self does not die immediately. I know, that's bad news. But when we surrender to Jesus, self is, is taken off the throne of our life, and it's relegated to the, to the lowest dungeons in our life, but it keeps on calling out, and we still see self working in our lives, whether we like it or not. When we give ourselves to God, we don't immediately have the divine nature. Peter says that we become partakers of the divine nature, and we grow more and more in that divine nature as we are sanctified. Sanctification is the process of incorporating more and more of that divine nature into us. So we need to ask this question. What happens when I fail? You and I will fail. It is inevitable. It is our nature. 
So what happens when I fail? What happens to God when I fail? And what happens to me when I fail? These are important questions with important ramifications in our Christian life. So to help us understand this, these questions, we need to look at three possible failure scenarios. These three scenarios encompass all possible failures. Any failure made by anybody on this planet will fall into one of these three categories. There is the unsurrendered person who commits sin. There is the surrendered person who commits unintentional sin. And then there is the surrendered person who commits intentional sin. Any sin, any failure on the part of any human being on this planet will fall into one of those three categories. So let's take a quick look at these three categories and, and uh, what they tell us about failure. First of all, there's the unsurrendered Christian. They fail to obey God, and that's not any surprise, because without God, it's impossible not to fail. God is the only one good. He's the only one that can produce anything good. If we don't have that connection with God, we're going to fail. Fail. I was uh, once in Jerusalem once um, when they were um, adding some tram, uh, some electric tram systems to the outskirts of Jerusalem, and it's very hilly there. And they have these these wires overhead, like you see here, and the uh, the tram is connected to those wires, and that's what powers it. And as they go over these hills, that that uh, uh, arm on the top actually goes up and down with it, and so it always stays pressed against that wire, so it has the electricity that it needs. It's the same way in the Christian life. You know, when we are connected to the power, we have victory and God works powerfully in our lives. But if we are disconnected, even by just a little tiny gap, what's going to happen? We're going to be powerless, completely powerless. So this is normal and expected in this scenario. If we are unsurrendered and we fail, that's normal and, ex and expected. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do how much? Nothing. If we are separated by just the smallest sin, we are separated from God and the power that he gives us. So let's look now at the surrendered in unintentional sin. Here's the person who's given themselves wholly to God consecrated all their choices to God, truly surrendered, but they, they make a mistake. They, they do something that they realize afterwards is not God's will. It was unintentional. They didn't do it on purpose, but they made a mistake, or they had, a, they had an unwanted impulse of uh, anger or pride or a shortcoming of some sort. And this is um, also common in the Christian life. This scenario is a common scenario. Fully surrendered Christians, wholly consecrated to God, and yet they commit this unintentional sin, this unintentional failure. Because self is still alive, self is still fighting, self is still battling, self still comes through at times. We don't like self, we don't want self, we hate self, but it's still alive in our lives. And then there's the last scenario, the surrendered intentional sin. Here is where we knowingly reject God's plan for us. We know what His will is. And yet we consciously make a choice saying, I want to go my own way on this. Even just a little choice. That is turning our back, at least temporarily, on God. That is walking out of that surrender relationship. That is separating ourselves from the source of our power. That is a bad thing. That is abnormal. That's not expected. Because a surrendered Christian, we expect victory. That's what the Bible teaches us. So when we don't get that victory, we are uh, abnormal. Submit therefore to God, the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So if we have that submission, then we can resist the devil and he will flee. That's the expected. That's the normal. Okay? Intentional failure is so tragic because it's, it's so unnecessary. 
Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, Peter tells us, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh, that's that surrender, has ceased from sin. We are told that by yielding up your will to Christ, you ally yourself with the power that is above all principalities and powers. When the soul surrenders itself to Christ, a new power takes possession of the new heart. A change is wrought which man can never accomplish for himself. A supernatural work, bringing a supernatural element into the human nature. The soul that is yielded to Christ becomes his own fortress, which he holds in a revolted world, and he intends that no authority shall be known in it but his own. A soul thus kept in possession by the heavenly agencies is impregnable to the assault of Satan. But unless we do yield ourselves to the control of Christ, we shall be dominated by the wicked one. So those who give themselves to, over to the control of Christ are impregnable. Intentional failure by such a person is not normal. That's not expected. It's tragic because we are essentially turning our back on God, walking out of that surrender relationship. So here's the three possible scenarios. Either we are unsurrendered and we fail, or we are surrendered and we fail unintentionally, or we are surrendered and we fail intentionally. Now let me ask you a question. In which one of these three scenarios does God stop loving us when we fail? In which one of these three scenarios does God stop loving us when we fail? Not one. Not one. In every single one of these failure scenarios, God still loves us. Have you ever heard someone say, God can't love me, I've just been too bad? Have you ever said that yourself, even subconsciously? When we say that, we demonstrate a fundamental misunderstanding of this concept of love. Because our love is always conditional. Human love is conditional, but God's love is not. We have a hard time understanding that. If we replace the word love with the word God in 1 Corinthians 13, we get something really amazing. God is patient. God is kind and not jealous. God does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. God does not seek his own, is not provoked. God does not take into account a wrong suffered. God does not rejoice in unrighteousness, rejoices with the truth. God bears all things. God believes all things. God hopes all things. God endures all things. God never fails. Isn't that a wonderful picture of God that comes from 1 Corinthians 13? Because God is love. The Bible doesn't say that God is just loving. He's, the Bible says that God is love. God is love. As humans, we have a difficult time understanding that, that unconditional aspect of God's love. C.S. Lewis once wrote, we must begin at the, at the real beginning with love as the divine energy. This primal love is gift love. In God, there is no hunger that needs to be filled, only plenteousness that desires to give. God's love is a giving love. It springs out of his very nature of love. It's not based on anything. It's not something we have to deserve. It's not something we have to merit. It is something that God does because that's the way he is. So that's our key phrase this morning, this afternoon. In God, there is no hunger that needs to be filled, only plenteousness that desires to give. Let's read that all out loud together. In God, there is no hunger that needs to be filled, only plenteousness that desires to give. Bible translators were once working in Africa and they were trying to learn the language so they could translate the Bible. And they found that in this particular tribe, every verb ended in either an I, an A, or a U. And depending on that ending, the verb meant different things. And there was this one word, love, that um, was kind of interesting to the translators because as they were learning the language, they could not find the U form. Divai was the I form, 
Deva was the, was the A form of love, but there was no Devu. So they called the elders together and they said, hey, we need to understand this a little bit better. We're, we're, we're failing to understand your word for love. Can you help us out? So the elders said, fine. So they asked them, what does Devi mean with the I ending? And that says, oh, that means that they have been loved, but they're not loved anymore. That's a past tense type of love. Okay, translator said. So what does the A ending mean? Well, that means that they are loved because they are good husbands, good wives, they, they cook, they farm, they bring in the water, whatever. It is a love because they've deserved it. They earn it. Okay, the translator said. So what about the you form of love, devu? And all the elders laughed. And they said, there is no such word. That word doesn't exist. That form of the verb does not exist because there is no such thing. That would mean that you would have to love somebody no matter what, and it just doesn't happen. It's not possible. And you know, my friends, that's true. As humans, we do not have a word for unconditional love because it is not a human thing. It only comes from God. And that's why it's so hard sometimes for us to understand this unconditional love of God. So let me ask you another question about these three failure scenarios. In which one of these failure scenarios does God, uh, do we stop deserving anything from God? In which one of these three failure scenarios do we stop deserving God's grace? Have you ever heard someone say, I don't deserve to be happy. I don't deserve to be saved. I've just been so bad. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Have you ever said it yourself, maybe even subconsciously? My friends, when we say that, we show a fundamental misunderstanding of grace because grace is not about deserving, meriting, or uh, deserving anything. The prodigal son had this problem. He thought that he deserved something. And he went to his father and he said, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. In other words, give me what I deserve. But after a while, he squandered all that he deserved, and he was feeding pigs, and he thought to himself, wow, I don't even deserve to be called my father's son anymore. And so he went to his father, and he said, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight, I am no longer worthy. I don't deserve to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And what did the father do? He completely ignored this speech. He threw a robe around him, put a ring on his finger, killed a fatted calf, and had a party because his beloved son was back. In the, in the eyes of that father, it wasn't about deserving or not deserving. It was about he had his son back, his beloved son. And that's how God treats you and I. Interestingly enough, the prodigal son's brother had a problem with deserving as well because he was the one that was faithful. He was the one that felt he deserved more than he was getting. But my friends, deserving has nothing to do with it. There was once a time in my life where I did something terrible. I failed God badly. And I felt so bad. I said to myself, or I said to the Lord, Lord, I just don't deserve anything. I don't deserve any of your love. I don't deserve your forgiveness. And you know what popped into my head as I said that? I said, Mike, if you're saying that you don't deserve God's love, or his forgiveness because you've been so bad, that's implying that there was a time when you did deserve it. <laughs> For some reason, you were good enough to deserve it, and that never happened. That, that wasn't a thing. I had never deserved God's love. I had never deserved his goodness in any way. So when we say that, oh, I'm too bad, I can't deserve God's love, we're implying that there was a time when we could deserve, and it's not possible to deserve God's love. So that's the question we want to ask. What happens to God when I fail? 
And then we'll ask the question, what happens to me when I fail after this? What happens to God when I fail? First of all, we realize that God does not stop loving us. We also realize that he does not consider us less deserving because loving, uh, love and des uh, deserving has nothing to do with it. It's love. But there is something else that happens to God. There is something that does happen to God when we fail. Mark Pierce once tells the story of when he overheard his children telling his youngest son, you better obey dad, because if you don't, he won't love you anymore. And Mark called his youngest son to himself and he said, you know, son, that's not really true. And his son said, really? You'll keep loving me even if I'm bad? And Mark said, yes. The difference is, when you, when you are good, I love you with a love that makes me glad. But when you're bad, I love you with a love that hurts me. I love you with a love that hurts me. And that's what God does. He either loves us with a, a love that makes him glad, or he loves us with a love that hurts him, but either way, he loves us. So that's what happens when I fail. That's what happens to God when I fail. He loves us with a love that hurts him. Period. That's it. That's what happens to God when I fail. God loves us regardless of the failure scenario. So let me ask you something. Does God love Jeffrey Dahmer? Does God love Jeffrey Dahmer? Could God love somebody who had destroyed his creatures and hurt them so badly? Could God love him, even him? Jeffrey Dahmer went to prison for 17 life sentences, and while he was in uh, prison, he got a Bible, and he was converted. Could Jeffrey Dahmer be in heaven? Do we even want Jeffrey Dahmer to be in heaven? Is that even fair for him to be in heaven? And yet, God loves him. And it's not about deserving or not deserving. It's about his love. And if Jeffrey repented, truly repented of his sins, Jeffrey will be in heaven. Isn't that incredible? Doesn't that just blow your mind? Somebody as bad as him? There are seven wonderful things that you and I as Christians should know about God and how he treats us. One, he loves us more than we can possibly imagine. Two, his patience with us is supernatural patience. Three, he is actively using all of his wisdom and power to bless you and I as much as he can right now. Four, he never gets tired. He never gets discouraged. And my personal favorite, he does not make mistakes. God does not make mistakes, ever. And number seven, God will succeed in blessing us, even us even me, if we let him. These seven things are so important for us to realize about God. God will succeed if we let him. God never stops loving us. God never looks at us, looks at us as less deserving because of our actions. So, let's ask ourselves now, what happens to me when I fail? We, we've seen that when, what happens to God when I fail. He loves us. He still loves us, but with a love that hurts him. But what happens to me when I fail? Well, that depends on the scenario. If I am unsurrendered and I fail, then I will probably receive physical, mental, emotional, and social consequences of that failure. Because going contrary to God's will always has ramifications, always has um, results, and, and they're not usually good results. We are disconnected from Jesus. We are separated from him. And the only thing we can do is repent and reconnect. And we can. And God, and God is eager for us to do that. And he helps us to do that. He helps us to repent and to get back to him. So that's what happens to us when we fail in the unsurrendered 
scenario. What happens to us in scenario two, where we are fully consecrated to him, but we commit an unintentional sin? Well, we may or may not suffer those temporal consequences, just like the unsurrendered person. But it will also do some things to us. It'll cause us to mourn. Blessed are those who weep, the Bible says. And it will, it will drive us to repentance. And it will help us to grow in our dependence and our love for God. God can cause all things to work together for good, even our failure, if we let him. There are those who have known the pardoning love of Christ and who really desire to be children of God, yet they realize that their character is imperfect, their life faulty, and they have, they're ready to doubt whether their hearts have been renewed by the Holy Spirit. To such I would say, do not draw back in despair. We shall often have to bow down and weep at the feet of Jesus because of our shortcomings and mistakes. But we are not to be discouraged. Even if we are overcome by the enemy, we are not cast off, not forsaken and rejected of God. So yes, we do fail. Even as fully consecrated Christians, we do fail unintentionally. We have these mistakes, we have these shortcomings, we have these character flaws. But what should we do when that happens? We should praise God. We should constantly remember what he has done for us and what he is doing for us and what he will do for us. We should remember all the times that God has given us the victory. We should remember all the times where God has forgiven us. We should actually realize more than we've ever realized before that God is good, that he loves us more than we can possibly imagine, and that he is willing and able and eager to bring us back to him. A surrendered Christian pleases God. Did you know that? Every person who has consecrated their life wholly to God pleases God. Not because of what they can do, not because of their power or their goodness or anything. He's not pleased because of what they can do. He's pleased because of what he is allowed to do in them because of our surrender. God is pleased with you if you are consecrated wholly to him. Not because of your goodness, but because of what he is able to do in and through you. That's important for us to remember. So that's uh, scenario two. What about scenario three where we are surrendered and we commit an intentional sin, we fail intentionally. Well, again, we will probably suffer the temporal consequences, the physical, mental, emotional, social consequences of going against God's will. But we, we will also do something that is, is totally tragic. And that is we will separate ourselves from that surrender relationship. Surrender means that we have consecrated all of our choices to God. When we take back one of those choices, we're no longer surrendered. Surrender is all or nothing. And that is tragic. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world, Peter tells us, by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. In other words, if we are wholly consecrated to God and we walk out of that surrender relationship and we fail intentionally, that hurts us. We are worse off than we have been before. And that's something that we should take seriously. The good news is, the good news is that God still doesn't give up with us. God is still willing to bring us back to, that, to him, that surrender relationship with him, just like the prodigal son. The prodigal son knew what he was doing. His was an intentional failure. He intentionally walked away from his father, and he walked away and enjoyed the pleasures of life for a season until he realized how wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked he was. And then he came back to his father and says, I don't deserve. And his father says, it's not about deserving. I love you. I welcome you back. We can repent. We can recommit our lives to God, and God will accept us. 
But we should also do one more thing after we repent and come back to God. We should look at our life and find out how we failed. What was it? How did the devil trick us? How did the devil trap us? How did we stumble? What was it that caused us to fail? And we should plead with God to make sure that never happens again. We should make it into a learning experience. Moses knew about uh, God's forgiveness. He said, pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your loving kindness, just as you also have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. The people of Israel were constantly failing, spectacularly, constantly failing, and yet Moses realized that from Egypt until now, God had been forgiving them. That's the God that we serve. Jeremiah also recognized God's forgiveness when he wrote this about the children of Israel. They refused to listen and did not remember your wondrous deeds which you had performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And you did not forsake them. And then he goes on. Even when they made for themselves a calf of molten metal and said, this is your God who brought you up from Egypt and committed great blasphemies. You, in your great compassion, did not forsake them in the wilderness. Isn't that incredible? What they did and how God responded just blows our mind. And it doesn't stop there. He says, the pillar of cloud did not leave them by day to guide them on their way, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way in which they were to go. Even though they constantly sinned, even though they continually failed, even though they were continually testing God, God did not desert them. The pillar of fire was still there at night and the cloud by day. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderfully reassuring? If God can do that for them, He can do that and He will do that also for us. To see the loving patience of God, we need to look no further than the story of Jonah. Jonah was a prophet of God. He had a closer relationship than many humans can boast. Close to God as one of his prophets. And yet at one point God asked him to do something and Jonah said no. He turned his back and he walked, he ran away from God. Did God forsake him? No, he worked events in such a way that he was swallowed by a big fish. Gave uh, Jonah some time to think about what had happened. Gave Jonah some time to repent, and when he repented, he brought him back, and he used him powerfully to preach to the people of Nineveh. That is what God can do for us. That same thing, that wonderful grace, that forgiveness. But I'd like to, to share with you real quickly a little warning here, because it's easy for us to say that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And so it's easy for us to say, well, you know, the worse we are, the more grace we, we see, and so let's just be as bad as possible, or let's just be bad or not worry about it, or let's just you know, push God and test His grace. Yes, it's true. When sin increased, grace abounded all the more. But don't forget, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died in, to sin still live in it? Right? That's the thing we as Christians, as fully surrendered, consecrated Christians should be asking ourselves. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Jesus came to give us the victory. He will give us the victory if we let him. And if we fail, no matter what the fail, failure scenario, he will let us repent and he will bring us back into full connection with him. 
If we fail, we need to find out why, and we need to plead with God to keep us from failing again. We're all failures, and yet God loves us anyway, regardless of the failure scenario. But my friends, by far, the best failure scenario is the surrendered failure scenario, because God is our safety net. God is our safety line. When we fall, we fall into the arms of Jesus. We are failures by nature, but how we fail, that's our choice. We can fail in the unsurrendered scenario, or we can fail in the surrendered scenario, or we can fail intentionally in the surrendered scenario. How we fail is our choice. It's the choice of whether we're going to surrender and stay surrendered or not. So that's the good news. We're all failures, and God loves us anyway. And God is willing and able and eager to come into our lives, to be king of our lives, and to give us victory over failure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, thank you so much for your goodness, for your indescribable, un, uh, impossible to understand love. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that we can't deserve even the least of your goodness, but that you lavish it upon us anyway, not because we deserve it, but because you love us. Father God, thank you that no matter how we fail, you still love us and work with us and are, are willing and eager to bring us back to yourself. I pray that we will surrender our lives to you, be wholly consecrated to you, that we will let you be Almighty God, that you will let us give us the, that you we will let you give us the victory so that we won't fail. Father, you can do that. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.